It's Friday, January the 4th, and I am a day late, but we're going to be talking about 2018. Uh, there's a new political party in Ontario, and a bunch of scientists want to dim our sun. So that's cool. All right, here we go. So I'm coming a day late. I had a great Christmas and I really hope you did as well. Uh, this week I've really enjoyed getting together with some people I haven't, I don't see that often, haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and that's why this is really coming a day late. But actually today, this is really important, it's my anniversary today. So we have had 17 years of marriage and I'm actually going to do a video uh, this week kind of talking a little bit about those 17 years and my advice to you about marriage. So you'll want to go to my uh, website lauraleesiemens.com. Uh, that video will be up soon sometime this week. I did a video though about some books that my husband and I have read this year and that is up on my website and on the YouTube channel lauraleesiemens.com. So you want to check that out. Also another thing I have my Daniel series up on my website um, I started making the Revelation series, so I hope to start posting episodes in about a week or two. So make sure that you've done the Daniel study because you want to do that before you jump into the Revelation series. All right, so I started this podcast one year ago. It has been one year of me chatting with you. So 2018 was a wild year. I found that I learned a lot not just about producing a podcast, and I think I've gotten better at it uh, each week, but also I've learned so much just as I've been studying and preparing for each podcast, and so much great history. I love history so much. So what happened this year in Canada? Well, Trudeau went to India and made like a complete fool of himself. Um, he went to China. They called him a tiny potato. Stats Canada tried to take our bank information without our consent. We bought a pipeline that we're probably never going to use. We fought about carbon tax. We got a new premier in Ontario. That's awesome. ISIS fighters returned to Canada and we're reading them poetry to get that ISIS ideology out of them. Not punishing them for being murderers or rapists. Just reading them poetry. Our border sprung a leak at Roxham Road and we got flooded with people rocking, walking across our border and entering illegally. And we negotiated a new trade deal with the states and were completely spanked by Trump. Oh, and we signed a compact plan with the UN that basically gave our sovereignty away. So that sums up 2018. So what stories from 2018 are going to affect us the most moving forward? I believe it's open borders and the compact plan for migration. And here's why. First, before I get into that, let me tell you that I have actually officially changed one of my stances on abortion. Now, before you fall over in shock, let me explain. I have always said that I would vote for any party that was against abortion. And that was a huge deal for me. 
So just for an example, I hate taxes, I hate regulations, I love border security, but if a party said, we're gonna raise taxes, we're gonna add regulations, we're gonna open up our borders, but we're going to end abortion, I would probably vote for that party even though I hate everything else they stand for. However, I have officially found a party that is against abortion, but I will not vote for them. In fact, I will actively try to get them not to be elected. I will campaign against this party. So we have an official new party in Ontario, the Islamic Party of Ontario. So yay. All right, this party released its platform, and it starts off by saying that Islam is the oldest religion, which is not true, just right at the very beginning. Uh, Islam was started in 610 AD at the earliest. That was the year that Islam claims the Quran was revealed to Muhammad. Judaism has been around a lot longer than that. They were roaming the wilderness in 1450 BC, over 2,000 years before the Quran was written. And by 610 AD, when the Quran was written, Christianity was already an established religion. So Islam is the oldest of the three Arabic religions. Anyway, they claim it's the oldest religion and they claim that it that Islam founded Canada and was the founding religion of Canada. Also not true. Protestantism was the main religion of the founding fathers of Canada. In fact, it was quite a scandal really when John Thompson became the first Catholic prime minister. And they also use the term dean instead of religion, just as a side note as you're reading through their things. Okay, so that's their intro. What's the platform? Well, some things in their platform actually sound good, so we're going to kind of go through that. They want the family system to be restored, and they don't want single moms. Okay, so this is an example of something that sounds like a good idea, but it's not something you can mandate by law. They want marriage to be between a man and a woman. This, of course, is also the Christian belief. The sexual relationship is only between men and women, and only between married men and women. Okay, once again, this is the Christian teaching. However, Christians do not teach that this should be law. You can't regulate sex, sexual relationships by law, other than, of course, consent and age. But how is it regulated in Islamic countries? Well, gays are thrown off the tallest buildings in the town. So is that mean the CN Tower is going to be the building that they throw the gays off of? Also, what happens in Islamic countries when unmarried men and women have sex? Usually it's the women who are whipped or stoned. So I'm not cool with that. They're also, according to their doctrine, that there are only two genders and you can't change your gender. Well, this is something I actually believe in also. And they want a ban on abortion. Like I said, this will be the first party with this stance that I do not endorse. Also... As I was talking to my oldest daughter about this, she pointed out, well, in Islamic countries, don't they kill people who have sex outside of marriage? And that's usually the reason that people get abortions. So they do actually kill the babies. They just kill the mothers also. Good point. And I want to mention, I have some really smart teenage daughters. All right. The next thing they have is they want no doctor-assisted suicide. Also something that I actually agree with. All right. The next thing they have. No obscenity, vulgarity, nudity, or perver perversion. Okay, 
I'm good with the nudity. I'm pretty sure that's already the law. However, you can't make it illegal for people to be obscene or vulgar. And even when you look at nudity, Islam teaches that a woman who shows her hair is nude. So does that mean that the burqa is coming to Ontario? Also, in their next stance, liquor, drugs, adultery, and gambling all banned. So are you starting to see some problems here? It would be illegal to drink or gamble. And also, how do you make adultery illegal? Are we going to be whipping and stoning for adultery like they do in Islamic countries? Not to mention, we had this little period in our history where we tried to make liquor illegal and it didn't go well. All right, the next thing to talk about is the education system. And they want the education system to teach not only about this world, but about the world hereafter. Um, the whole education platform, as you read through it, it talks more about character building and teaching about the afterworld and doesn't really talk about educating the students, like math, reading, you know, why kids go to school. Also, schools will be divided into boys' schools and girls' schools. And when we look at Islamic countries who do this, that doesn't really go well for the girls. Okay, now they say that they are neither capitalist or communist. They're just fair. Okay, whatever that means. Economy will be based on Sharia law. Not a fan of Sharia law. They say they're going to be less tax and small government. Okay, I totally am for less tax and I'm totally for small government. I have a little bit of a concern when you have Sharia law and also small government because does that mean they're going to get rid of our government and we're just going to have the local mosque rule us because that would be small government. So I would like more information on what they mean by small government. All right, then it continues on with a whole bunch of environmental stuff. They also talk about animal rights and that every animal has the right to be killed in a halal way. Now, I used to think halal wasn't a big deal. So when I would go grocery shopping, I just got whatever meat was on sale and the cheapest because that's how I roll. But then I looked into this, how animals are actually killed for halal. It's horrific. And I'm going to tell you right now. Do not look into this unless you are prepared. Let's just say it's extremely cruel. All right, looking at their platform, they want to turn Ontario and Canada into every other Islamic country. And as we know, uh, women don't fare well in Islamic countries and Christians don't fare well in Islamic countries. And this is Canada. We are not an Islamic country. Not to mention, there's a lot of people fleeing Islamic countries and coming to Canada because the Islamic countries are not a good place to live. So I am absolutely not okay with this party. Now, you're probably thinking, look, it's just a joke. No one would vote for this party. And that's exactly what my kids said when we were going through and looking at this platform together. They said, nobody will vote for that. And then I said, unless. No one will vote for this unless. We have an open border via Roxham Road and our new UN Compact on Migration. If we have an open border and we are flooded by people who want this exact party in Ontario, then they will vote for it. 
The ironic thing is the liberals have brought people into this country with the hopes of getting liberal votes. And in the end, those people will probably vote for this new Islamic party, which is everything the liberal party is against. I always said that we had the conservative party, which is good, not perfect, not where I'd like it to be, but good. We have the liberal party, which used to be not good. I wasn't a big fan of it, but not horrible under Trudeau. That kind of changed. And then we had the NDP party, which I said was the worst party because it's basically a communist party. The Islamic party is so bad. I would take the NDP communist party over this party. This is something we actually need to be afraid of. So if you're wondering if the party really is this bad, the party has named Tariq Fatah as an enemy of Islam and an apostate. If you don't know who Tariq Fatah is, you need to look him up. You need to follow him on Twitter. You need to read his articles. Um, he is a Muslim who does not believe in Sharia law and is an advocate for changing Islam. But they are now this party is now calling him an apostate. So an apostate under Sharia law is punishable by death. So they're not off to a great start. And this is why the border and the UN stories of 2018 are the stories I am most concerned about. Because allowing all these people to come into our country unvetted, we have no idea what they're about, what they want. Are they coming here because they want freedom or are they coming here because they want to rule over us? We need to know that. Now, if it's not crazy enough that we have an actual Islamic party in Ontario, the next story is wild. So a bunch of scientists want to dim our sun. So let me say that again so you can just hear it clearly, okay? A bunch of scientists are planning on dimming our sun. So this is where we're going to go into history behind the news story. So listen with me. We're going to travel all the way back in time to 1951. You live in Nevada. Your neighbor keeps bothering you with these weird conspiracy theories. She keeps telling you she thinks the government is lying to everybody about this Adam research. Your neighbor's kind of weird. Everyone knows the Adam, Adam research is going to change the world. I mean, even the newspaper had a picture of a man standing next to his wheelchair watching a bomb in the distance. You just read an article called Man and the Adam. This new Adam research is going to change the world. Today, your neighbor is bugging you because you're planting new seeds in your garden. You just received them in the mail. They're atom-blasted seeds. You've been waiting for them. You're so excited. There's a contest that you're going to enter to see who can grow the best new flower. These seeds have been blasted with radiation, and your tomatoes are going to be the best on the block. Your neighbor says the seeds are not safe, and your family is going to die if you eat them. She's such a nut. There's no way the government is lying to everyone. You remind your neighbor about the Atomic Energy Commission or the AEC. They've said everything is safe and clear. No one's at any risk. All the tests are completely safe. You remind your friend of that brand new hospital that's been built in New York for cancer patients. Does she think the government is trying to kill cancer patients? I mean, come on. Later that day, you're talking to the man who lives next door. 
You both always laugh at that crazy conspiracy your wacky neighbor has. But this day is different. Your neighbor says she might not be that crazy. You're kind of shocked. Your neighbor tells you about some strange things that have been happening at work. You see, he works for Kodak. He's hearing about some weird things that have been happening at the main location in Manhattan. Their film was all ruined by extra radiation somehow getting into the film. Some of the guys at work think the government is running some kind of test and radiation's in the air. The tests are being held here in Nevada. If radiation is falling on the Kodak factory in Manhattan, so many miles away, how much is falling here in your backyard? This time you don't brush it off so fast. It's one thing that the weird woman who thinks the sky is falling doesn't trust the government, but now this? It's four years later, March 1954. You begin to hear stories about some fishermen who were exposed to radiation. The fishermen all got sick and their hair even fell out. The fishermen were saying that the tuna in their boats were making weird crackling noises. You're starting to wonder about those tomatoes your family have been eating. You know, the ones you planted with the atomic seeds. A few weeks later, your conspiracy neighbor knocks on your door. and She has a form for you. You're supposed to keep any teeth your son loses and then send that tooth in with this form to a researcher. You would have laughed her off a few years ago, but now, now you're kind of curious. So you take the form. Soon you learn you're not the only one. All the parents are sending in teeth and forms and you're starting to get nervous. Finally, your son's tooth falls out and you mail in the form and the tooth. When the results come back, you're angry. Your son has been exposed to high levels of radiation, radioactive material. And you're told it's perfectly safe, but your gut tells you something is off. This is what happened in the 50s. By the end of the 50s, Dr. Louise Reese, a woman who knew things were not right, had collected thousands of teeth and they all said the same thing. Children had been exposed to dangerous amounts of nuclear isotopes. That wasn't the only problem. Kodak sued the government after their film had been ruined and the government agreed to tell Kodak every time they ran a test. That way Kodak could take a few days off without making film. But Kodak had to promise to not tell anyone else that the tests were taking place. That hospital in New York was not a treatment center for cancer. Cancer patients who were probably going to die were sent to this hospital and told it was a new possible cure. Instead, the government used them to find out what would happen to a soldier if they were exposed to high levels of radioactive material. The atom-blasted seeds were mailed out and planted all over North America, infecting the land and the food sources. In 1946, the government had tested the effects on people by taking a group of people to a place called Bikini Atoll. The people were stripped down to their underwear and blasted with radiation. Actually, a French designer saw a picture of this and it inspired a new bathing suit, the bikini. Those fishermen, they were hit with radiation after the fifth largest bomb ever made was detonated in a test on a nearby island. The bomb could be seen for 250 miles. Hundreds of, sol- of sailors were hit with radiation. And the fishing boat, which was miles away and in a safe area, however, they were hit with this extra radiation. One of the fishermen died. The rest were sick and all of their hair did fall out. The AEC continued to say there was no harm done to humans, animals, or crops. 
But after the fishermen died, people began to lose faith in the AEC. That wasn't all that happened. Russia was also running tests, and in the height of the Cold War, America had to create more and bigger tests than Russia. In a race to be the biggest, both countries infected their citizens with radioaction that killed people. Childhood leukemia skyrocketed. During this time, one man was very important. His name was Edward Teller. Edward Teller was born in Hungary on January the 15th, 1908. He moved to America in 1930 and got a job working for the Manhattan Project. Teller was the creator of the hydrogen bomb. He worked at the Los Emos National Laboratory and was one of the key scientists during World War II. During that time, Teller's boss was a man named Julius Robert Oppenheimer. The two men did not get along. Oppenheimer thought atom research should be only used for war. Teller thought it could do so much more. After the war, the government was deciding who would have government clearance and could continue working on projects. Teller testified that Oppenheimer could not be trusted and his clearance was taken away. This actually ended up ostracizing Teller from the science community, but it brought him up in the ranks in the government. In the 1950s, Teller had all kinds of ideas of how atomic research could be used in everyday life. Remember in our story, the AEC, or the Atomic Energy Commission, that was telling everyone how safe the isotopes were. Well, Teller wrote the Nuclear Rector Safety Standards, and he worked for the Safeguard Committee, a branch of the AEC, the branch telling everyone not to worry, everything was fine. Around that same time, Teller created the Nuclear Power Program. He wanted everyone to change from fossil fuels to the nuclear power, but the change did not happen as quickly as he wanted, and he was kind of frustrated. Then, Teller happened to discover something, global warming or global climate change. In December of 1957, Teller wrote a paper explaining that the Earth was in distress. There was a climate change, and of course, it was all due to fossil fuels. The only way to save the planet? Switch to nuclear power. You know, the thing he created and was in charge of. Bold move to say the whole planet will die if you don't do things my way. But his bold move worked, and it caught on. Teller came up with another project, the Operation Plowshare. He got this from the Bible, the idea that one day we would beat our swords into plowshares. The sword was the bomb. Instead of using it to kill people, he would use it to dig holes and get oil. He even tried to sell it here in Canada, in Alberta. But Diefenbaker had a hard pass on that. The project was ended in 1962 after a survey of children's teeth proved that people were being infected with high levels of radioactive material. August the 5th, 1963, America agreed to stop running tests. However, Teller continued to press the government to spend more money and find more ways to use the atomic energy. By the 1970s, the government was spending up to a million dollars a month on Teller's projects. Then in the 1980s, Teller began working with a man named Lowell Wood. The two men convinced Ronald Reagan to invest in a project called Strategic Defense Initiative. This was lasers that would be shot from satellites and hit any incoming missiles. The scientific community thought the project was a complete joke, and they called it the Star Wars Project. They were right. The project ended up being a giant waste of money. However, both Teller and Wood had discovered a new place to use their ideas. 
space. During this time, Teller and Wood continued to work together and they created something called geoengineering. Now, geoengineering, I'm going to read this. Um, this is exactly what it is. I'm reading it as a quote. It's divided into two major classes. There are approaches which attempt to reduce the amount of climate change produced by an increase in greenhouse gas. And there's an approach that tries to remove greenhouse gases that have already been re released in the atmosphere. Putting giant satellites in space to deflect sunlight away from the Earth and putting tiny particles in the stratosphere, whitening clouds over the ocean, or perhaps whitening roofs or planting lighter colored crops. They are attempts to deflect sunlight away from the Earth. Then in 1991, Teller received the Nobel Peace Prize. That same year in the Philippines, a volcano erupts. This eruption put a large amount of material into the stratosphere, and this reflected the sun, and the globe cooled half a degree. This is really important here to catch this. The globe cooled half of one degree. August the 5th, 1997, Edward Teller and Lowell Wood write a paper. It's called Global Warming and the Ice Age, Prospects for Physics-Based Modulation of Global Change. The idea is to put things into our atmosphere to block the sun, kind of like when the volcano erupted and things blocked the sun and our globe was cooled half of a degree. Now, at this point, geoengineering has officially become a scientific topic. Don't worry, Teller says, everything will be fine. Now remember, this is the same man, man who was totally fine in the 50s also. This is the guy who sold Reagan the Star Wars project. The guy who convinced the government to spend millions of dollars trying to do his projects and they all failed. Same guy. In 1998, a man named David Keith is in a meeting with Lowell Wood. Wood proposes an idea that he's been working on with Teller, shooting a bunch of particles into the stratosphere to block the sun. The two men, Keith and Wood, begin to talk about this idea and even begin testing out some theories. Wood begins to have a reputation. His ideas are even more wild than the man who trained him, Edward Tiller. Wood receives the nickname Dr. Evil. August of 1999, Teller and Wood write another paper, Long Range Weather Prediction and Prevention of Climate Catastrophes. This is an update to the other paper they wrote. Then in April 2002, a third paper, Active Climate Stabilization, a practical physics-based approach to prevent climate change. All of these papers say the same thing. They want to shoot things into space to block the sun. Teller died in September the 9th, 2008 at the age of 95. His legacy was carried on by Lowell Wood. That year, 2008, a man named Alan Rodrock is sitting in a room. A group of scientists, including Wood and Keith, are talking about how they want to control the temperature of the planet. How? They want to shoot aluminum, sulfur, or maybe even diamond dust into the stratosphere. Ironically, the room is extremely hot, and the scientists cannot figure out how to turn the temperature down. So, they're going to control the temperature of the planet, but they can't get the temperature in the room right. Well, there are pros to this plan. There could reduce surface air temperature, and this might possibly reduce negative impacts of global warming. They could increase plant productivity, and they could increase CO2 sink. Also, 
they could make pretty sunsets with red and yellow colors. That was an actual thing they wrote down as a positive. They could make pretty sunsets with red and yellow colors. So that's the positive, the pros to the plan. Then there was the downside. There's 27 negative effects that could probably happen if they do this. I'm not going to list all 27, but here's a few highlights. It would create a drought in Africa and Asia. It would deplete the ozone layer. It would make the oceans more acid. And if something happened and you had to stop the project, we would have a rapid warming. You wouldn't be able to get solar electricity anymore. You wouldn't be able to get solar heating anymore. Airplanes could be affected in their flights. Satellites would definitely be affected. We would actually end up with more sunburns. Our sky would turn white, so we wouldn't have blue skies anymore. Also, there's the possibility of human error. And human error in this blocking the sun could have horrific side effects. Also, anyone could end up controlling the thermostat of the earth. And if that ended up in the wrong hands, that would be horrible. This is just a few of the 27 negative side effects to this. And although the idea was debated, it was not ended. You would think going through those negative side effects, they would have just decided to move on to something else. Lowell Wood and David Keith continued to work together, and they came up with exactly how to finish the project Teller had started. In March 2017, The Guardian put a story on this, and you can find that in the show notes. December 2008, The Daily Mail put out a story, and this is the first time I heard about it. The idea to dim the sun. This sounds like a terrible idea, and it turns out it is a terrible idea. I'm going to play for you a clip from a man named Dr. Bill Hare. He's the co-founder and the CEO of Climate Analysis. It's an international nonprofit climate science policy institute based in Germany. He's a physicist with three degrees of experience in the science impacts of policy responses to climate change and the stratosphere ozone depletion. All right, so this is what this guy has to say. I think, and along with many um, physicists, uh, or most physicists, I think, who've looked at this uh, solar radiation management uh, is a very dangerous uh, technology. And in many ways, it would itself constitute dangerous interference with the climate system. So I think these sort of experiments um, translated into policy are, are deeply unwise and deeply unhelpful. Um, I think that there's very substantial uncertainties about the effects of solar radiation management technologies. We don't understand their impacts at large scale on the monsoons, on precipitation, rainfall regimes. And what we do understand about it tells us that we need to be profoundly concerned that these uh, technologies could provoke really major damages in different regions. Um, What I'm also concerned about is the way in which um, this solar radiation management technology as a branch of geoengineering is being aggressively pushed now. And it's a, it's a real um, puzzle to me, and I think a real, a real shame and a discredit to those pushing this, that they are at the very moment in which we are seeing fundamental changes beginning to happen in the energy system, out there in their pamphlets, brooches, lectures and talks, claiming that mitigation has failed. And therefore, we need to look at these uh, very dangerous technological approaches. I think that's a serious uh, mistake and error. 
Okay, so all of this, they're taking this huge risk. Why? The chance that it could lower our temperature of our planet by half of one degree. So this podcast is about the history behind the news. So why all this history? Well, here's the news. Coming this spring, spring of 2019, the Stratospheric Controlled Experiment, or SCOPEX. Harvard will be putting on this study, and it's led by David Keith, the man who's been working with wood to bring about the dream Teller had into reality. And they are going to dim the sun this spring. How? Well, they plan on, I'm going to read this actually from their own report, from the Harvard report. We plan to use a high-altitude balloon to lift an instrument package approximately 20 kilometers into the atmosphere. Once it's in place, a very small amount of material will be released to create a perturbed air mass roughly one kilometer long and 100 meters in diameter. We will then use the same balloon to measure results changing in the perturbed air mass, including changes in aerosol density, uh, atmospheric chemistry, and light scattering. Initially, we plan to release frozen water to make sure the instrument works properly. Later, we plan to release calcium carbonate, a common mineral dust. We may also release other material, such as sulfates, in response to evolving scientific interests. So let's break that down. What does that mean in normal people speak? So a giant balloon is going to lift an instrument 20 kilometers into our atmosphere and then release first frozen water, then calcium, and other material like sulfates or whatever else they decide to shoot up into our space, depending on how the scientific interest changes. Basically, they're going to put whatever they want to put up there. Also, you can see the plan is to change the air mass. This is concerning to me. What exactly is going to change? Aerosol density, atmospheric chemistry, and of course, light scattering. That is the dimming of the sun, where they're going to reflect the sun away from Earth. What if those of us living on the planet don't want our atmosphere changed, don't want our sun dimmed? At the very least, could you give us a little bit more information? So who is going to make sure these scientists don't do something crazy? This is according to the study that Harvard has released. This is their answer to that. Initial oversight of environmental health and safety issues will be managed by responsible entities from Harvard University and the balloon flight operator. Scientific peer review and a broader research government matters will be overseen by an independent adversary committee. So this Harvard experiment will be monitored by Harvard. Great. All right, who's funding this? Well, a lot of money is coming from an organization called Pfizer, which stands for Funds for Innovative Climate Energy Research. Guess who's in charge of who gets money from this organization? A man named David Keith. And who funds this organization? A man named Bill Gates. So, is the world going to end in the spring of this year? No. We probably won't even know that it happened, and we probably won't feel any of the effects from the spring of this year. This experiment will be in one area of the planet, and it will be small, but it's the beginning. Teller's plan was to cover the planet with this, and as more balloons go up, the more trouble we will be in. 
Like I said at the start of this podcast, I'm working on a Bible study of the book of Revelation. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry. God does have everything in control. And it can seem at times when we see everything happening around us that God has lost control. We see scientists doing crazy things like trying to dim the sun, or we see Islamic parties coming to Canada. But we can take courage and know that God will win in the end. True peace will win in the end. And that is why it's essential that we read the Bible all the way to the end. I'm baffled that churches will study the Bible but never reading it till the end, never seeing how the book finishes. This seems ridiculous. Yet that is exactly what so many churches do. Let me share some verses from Revelation with you. They were singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed. And at the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nations. You have appointed them as kingdoms and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels in a circle around the throne, as well as the living creatures and the elders. Their number was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands times thousands, all of whom were singing in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was killed to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and ruling power forever and ever. So what's happening here? Jesus Christ is being worshipped. He is worthy of worship because he is the one who died as the punishment for your sins. He is worshipped and he's worthy of worship because he overcame death. But look, he is the one who has appointed kingdoms and rulers. He is the one in control. And if you're a child of God, you have no reason to be afraid. We can stand and we can voice our concerns. We can pray for God to change the hearts of people. But we can also know that our father is the one who's in charge. If you're not a child of God, then you don't have that same certainty. But today, I want you to hear that Jesus loves you. He wants to be your father. And if you, right now, look into yourself and can see that you're a sinner and you need a savior. If you, right now, believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. If you right now confess your sins and call on him, he will save you. The Bible is clear about that. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. To find more videos, blogs, and podcasts, check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. I'll be back next week, and it will be Thursday next week. See you then.